0: Welcome to Wrestling at Random. I'm Jeremy Deemer
1: and I am Adam Summers.
0: And this is season 3. And in season 3, we could be reviewing anything. We loaded up the randomizer with all kinds of anything we could find from a streaming service. And we've introduced new streaming services into the randomizer as well. We fire it up, it picks something completely at random for us to watch. Could be weekly TV, could be a major event, Could be from any time period from anywhere around the world.
1: Absolutely. Season three, and we're obviously several episodes in, so if you're listening in linear fashion, you know this, but season three is basically the Wrestling at Random smoothie. We put all the ingredients from season one, all the ingredients from season two. We sprinkled a little chocolate syrup in the top, which I don't know. Maybe that means I make a weird smoothie. But regardless, what comes out is season three where... Anything is fair game. The only rule is that it's one week major event, pay-per-view, whatever you want to call it next week. It's a TV show. They're not related. It's just random, but because otherwise it would, we would, we have so many more TV shows in the randomizer than major live events, pay-per-views, that sort of thing that it would still end up skewing much more toward TV. So that's the only rule. Otherwise everything is fair game. And on this week's show, we are in the major event week of that cycle. And we are also, uh, the randomizer chose something, as you said, from a streaming service that had not been introduced into the randomizer before. I'm hyped because this show, this is from the latter part of the glory days of Ring of Honor wrestling.
0: That's right. We dumped Ring of Honor's streaming catalog into the randomizer and it picked uh, a pretty famous show, I'd but, say so. <laughs> but one, I I don't I don't remember most of this show. I uh, I did I, I think I, I saw it when it happened or like whenever the the DVD was available because yeah uh, that was the that was the business model for Ring of Honor. Uh, Ring of Honor started uh, because pro wrestling. Video distribution company RF Video, uh, they lost one of their best selling promotions when it came to wrestling videos. that was ECW when they went out of business.
1: Yes, the ECW fan cams in particular from Ring of Honor or excuse me from RF video were a favorite of mine. Oh, unwatchable have... for me. I could oh. never watch those. I <sighs> bought so many of those. I'd buy just in these random shows and it was awesome because they're, you know ECW ran the strangest buildings. And no two shows were alike, so you'd get these wild one-off matches in, like, Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania. Like, these just weird Masonic Temple, you know, high school gym, all these weird random buildings. It was a little rough to follow because it was just Gabe Gabe Sapolsky shooting it on a handheld. Uh, But still, that was, like you said, along with, you know, their weekly TV uh, or, you know, some of their, you know, Extreme Warfare Volume 2 and the like. Uh, their videotapes—that was the business model—and uh, then, as you, as you said, when ECW went away, RF Video uh, pretty much started up Ring of Honor, and the brains behind that in the RF Video operation was one Gabe Sapolsky.
0: And yeah, Ring of Honor—it was—it was founded by the RF of RF Video, Rob Feinstein, on February twenty third, two thousand and two, and the promotion. Uh, it was filling the void left by ECW uh, and Ring of Honor would be the exclusive home of the new promotions content. So in in 2004, Feinstein, he uh, he was caught in an internet-based sting operation in which he allegedly tried to solicit sex on the internet from a person that he thought to be, that was thought to be an underage boy. But was actually an adult posing as a minor. Uh, this became publicized, hit the news, resulted in Feinstein resigning from Ring of Honor in March 2004. RF Video would sell its company, it would sell Ring of Honor to Kerry Silken in 2004. Uh, we see a Kerry Silken appearance, appearance on this show as an authority figure of some kind. And in, so in 2004, ROH has a new owner, uh, they started their own mail order video business for Ring of Honor events, as well as shoot interviews.
1: Oh, that's right. God, yeah, I remember that.
0: Yeah, Ring of Honor was, uh, they they would become consistently the number two or number three promotion in the U.S. And in 2011, the company was sold to its current owner as of 2021, Sinclair Broadcasting. The The amount of talent that made their name in Ring of Honor is absolutely incredible. And what Ring of Honor did for independent wrestling was, was absolutely part of its legacy. Well,
1: and what will... it did for, for mainstream wrestling as well. When you look at the... You know the roster during you know the decade of the 2010s on in WWE. I mean, it's absolutely littered with the top stars of Ring of Honor. You know, we'll we'll get to that when we go through this show and talk about a lot of the guys on this show and guys that had already left, particularly CM Punk. Uh, no, I mean, as someone who is going to Ring of Honor shows during this time period from 2004 on. Uh, regularly at this point it absolutely was it was not only the gathering place of like all the top stars on the independent scene as far as wrestlers go but it was also the place where you would see the fans that you would see at like you know I'd see IWA fans at certain shows or you'd see AAW fans at certain shows in the Chicago area but then when you went to Ring of Honor all those fans of those other promotions they all went to those ROH shows it was it, it was also the place where like every like every major indie or even minor indie of any consequence in the US even if they weren't that good most of them had one or two really good wrestlers ring of honor is where they ended up going after they left their their home promotion and wrestling ended up wrestling all the other really good wrestlers from their home promotions kind of scattered around the country it was certainly a it was a fascinating time to be going to those shows cuz you were seeing guys you had read about or heard about and then Boom! There they are in front of you wrestling other guys that they had never wrestled before, but that you had seen and heard about as well. Just a, a really unique uh, time period for any company.
0: Yeah, and just you look at the the ROH roster in the two thousands. It's 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 such an incredible list of, of talent, and we will run through. You're going to hear a lot of familiar names on this show. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, De- December 27th, 2008. This is Final Battle 2008 from the Hammerstein Ballroom in New York City in that front That same
1: Ham- Hammerstein Ballroom from e- of ECW Fame, also of ECW One Night Stand WWE Pay-Per-View Fame from just uh, a few years prior in 2005 and 2006.
0: That's right. And this is in front of the biggest crowd in Ring of Honor history. 2,500 fans in attendance, and it turns out that as this show was happening, they had just fired their longtime booker, the aforementioned Gabe Sapolsky. Yes,
1: yeah, who he had definitely run his course by that point, and I'd say a good probably year beforehand, uh, you know, things had really started to feel stale. Gabe had a, a penchant, he did a lot of things right, but he had a penchant for not knowing when the moment was to change the title or who to put the title on. It always felt like the crowd knew who the guy was and you could just feel it. But that guy would never get the title when the story and when the, the kind of crowd support and everything was peaking, it would always be a little late.
0: Our referee is Todd Sinclair for our opening contest. And he's introduced, To a loud chorus of boos. Yes. And our opening contest, Claudio Castagnoli, who would go on to be known as Cesaro in WWE... Uh, Claudio Castagnoli
1: versus Kenny Omega,
0: who (laughs) would go on to do things.
1: (laughs) Who would go on to be Kenny Omega, that Kenny Omega. So yeah, if you needed any more of an introduction, if you're unfamiliar with Ring of Honor, as to uh, the, uh, the talent they produced or that passed through their company and got to another level before going elsewhere, this opener of the future Cesaro versus... Kenny Omega here at the Hammerstein Ballroom. It was quite the uh, the mind trip, I'll say. We also have, on commentary, it is Lenny Leonard, one of the uh, the great underrated play-by-play voices of our time, with a heel Dave Prezak, which I was not prepared for. I had forgotten about <laughs> him as a, a sort of borderline heel commentator. And for the first few matches on this show, Ring of Honor World Champion a man who will be defending the title later on in the show, but he's here to do commentary, Nigel McGuinness.
0: That's right, and he would be the future commentator for NXT for many years, Nigel McGinnis, uh, and we love Dave Prezak here on this oh, show. the show. Oh, the best. He's so way fantastic. Way back
1: uh, going to shows uh, and hearing Dave Prezak and talking to him from time to time, so thrilled that Dave Prezak's voice has finally made it to an episode of Wrestling at Random. We should also mention from a production standpoint, which was generally not a a strong suit of Ring of Honor uh, at this time period, I loved the diagonal camera shot, that isometric camera shot that they have here throughout the show. It's not the hard cam, but they use it quite a bit, a production touch that I wish more wrestling shows would utilize.
0: Yeah, that's a great shot. Um, What isn't great is the audio. The audio quality is always... Just a rough go with Ring of Honor, and the it...
1: levels. They, they there there's was no effort made to equalize levels, make sure that nobody's mics are too hot. uh It is a we put hot in mess. Sig-
0: We put in significantly more audio quality into this program than yes. <laughs> than the they did. The first
1: do. episode of the Adam and Mike Big Audio Nightmare in two thousand five <laughs> put in more effort for audio quality than the show. And if you've heard the early episodes of the Big Audio Nightmare. You know how little effort we put into audio quality on that podcast back then.
0: So, during the introductions, we get complete silence. The audio drops out completely because uh, they use real songs yes. for their introductions, which they do not have the rights to here. So, Another uh,
1: reason that they are the spiritual successor to ECW. Yes,
0: and, and uh, a lot of... Uh, uh, a lot of new japan world vibes in watching <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> watching these matches.
1: Yeah, as far as classic stuff in the new japan world archives where the second a guy wins that immediately <laughs> goes silent and you don't hear the crowd cheer, you don't get a feel of the celebration at all, uh that uh that is the case here as well.
0: So Claudio comes out wearing a Boston Red Sox jersey in New York, so a lot of heat and uh his opponent comes out and It's a very young and very skinny Kenny Omega here.
1: (laughs) Yes. Firmly in the junior heavyweight category. If there was one in ring of honor at this point, which there wasn't, but yes, much smaller, much shorter, curly hair, a baby face in all definitions of the word. Kenny Omega fresh off his run in WWE developmental, uh, Derby city, that sort of thing from Kenny Omega OVW Uh, this is kenny omega very early on in his ring of honor run he comes out he does the the street fighter fireball pose as he comes to the ring so we know even back then kenny omega likes the video games and that sort of uh that sets the tone for what we're going to get here in this match
0: yeah claudio starts out with an aggressive beatdown. omega with some arm drags he misses a drop kick Uh, Claudio tries to toss Omega outside, but Omega gets tangled in the ropes, uh, ducks a clothesline. Claudio is able to hit a hot shot and Kenny took an awesome bump off of this hot shot.
1: Yes. And, uh, not everything was going perfectly here at the beginning, but still, uh, two very good, very distinct wrestlers, Kenny Omega, nowhere near what he would become, but you could see even from that cell, just sort of the, the bones of what he was going to be. We then get sort of a modified gut wrench suplex by Claudio only to, as this is when we get the mocking, Hey chance as back then, uh, Claudio Castagnoli, when he was a baby face would yell, Hey, and the crowd would yell it after to him. And it was the whole thing here. He had turned heel. And so this was the crowd mocking him. Uh, we get another sequence that ends with Claudio, uh, guillotining, uh, Kenny Omega uh, on the bottom rope. And this is the point to where Nigel is saying that uh, Kenny Omega has made great progress from when he first started in Ring of Honor as Sugarfoot Alex Payne. And I cackled because I remembered Sugarfoot Alex Payne being one of the not particularly good (laughs) trainees from the Ring of Honor Academy, which did not turn out many star wrestlers. And so Nigel... Uh, throwing the proverbial shade at Kenny Omega by saying that he thought it used to be Sugarfoot Alex Payne, uh, I uh, I enjoyed that greatly.
0: Earlier, he also called he confused Omega with uh, Survivor Star Johnny Fairplay.
1: Yes, yes, <laughs> so, who had done a guest shot in Ring of Honor and gotten beaten <laughs> up shortly before this. So good stuff here from Nigel as the uh, the heel commentator and ROH World Champion. We then get a monkey flip from Kenny Omega and several Polish hammers, channeling the spirit of Ivan Putski, who we've talked about on this podcast a couple of times.
0: Claudio is standing there, and Omega leapfrogs over the back of Claudio and then yes. rams him face first with the Bulldog.
1: The Kotaro Crusher, if you will, a move he still busts out from time to time.
0: Claudio misses a bicycle kick. Omega screams, Stop! And then a jumping Inseggiro knocks Claudio to the floor.
1: Yeah, I I hate this spot. Not to go all Jim Cornette because I'm not, <laughs> but I hate this spot. I loved how uh, was it Dave Prezak that said like, "Do you have to stop?" Like I, I was I was amused by that. <laughs> Kenny though erases this from my mind. It's a great Torneo to the floor. Uh, good stuff.
0: Back inside, Kenny to the top, drop kicks Claudio hard in the back. Omega. This was
1: Kenny Omega channeling big, or uh, channeling wrestling at random and Big Audio Nightmare favorite Shinjiro Otani with a springboard dropkick to the back of the head.
0: Omega whipped to the corner, flips up and over a charging Claudio. He does a roll and jumps up to the middle turnbuckle, tries a crossbody but misses. Claudio then murders him with a bicycle kick.
1: <laughs> this was awesome. He comes... <sighs> charging out of the corner full speed and leaps into the best bicycle kick you've ever seen turns kenny inside out
0: ricola bomb attempt is countered into a small package
1: which we kenny- should mention the Ric- the ricola bomb was basically uh just a sit-out power bomb uh a liger bomb not a tiger bomb but he's it's with the arms crossed in front of his opponent's uh chess and ricola because he was swiss and the ricola commercial fans would yell out ricola it, again was a whole thing
0: yeah it was countered into a small package kenny omega gets the win claudio is stunned he throws chairs in anger this was a super fun opener
1: yes exactly this and surprising too in that ring of honor wasn't exactly known for like having openers where guys didn't go 900 miles an hour all out this honestly felt more like uh, an opener from a mainstream company, where it's two really good wrestlers having a really good, really fun match, but not doing anything that's going to upstage the big matches later on in the show.
0: Four corner survival match, <laughs> Necro Butcher.
1: Which, which, by the way, this always rubbed me the wrong way with Ring of Honor. Four corner survival. It's an elimination would match. We make you think that it's elimination. One just surviving. 100%. And then also playing off of the Survivor Series, the most well-known match in the wrestling ecosystem that involves the word "survive." But you would here,
0: obviously, just, think that that's the case. Yes, yes,
1: it's just a Fatal Four Way. It's first elimination.
0: Necro Butcher versus Chris Hero versus Jerry Lynn versus Rhett Titus, and I. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I had forgotten uh, about Rhett Titus's existence. Uh, Ring of co- Honor
1: has not because in modern <laughs> days, he's still there. He's never left.
0: He never he's left. Been, of all the names on like... this show, this guy never did anything anywhere.
1: <laughs> Which tells you kind of the state of modern Ring of Honor, that of all the names that are on here, the constant in the promotion still, one of them uh, is Rhett Titus. Uh, again, a graduate, a guy that came out of the ROH uh, school training system. However, it worked at that time. Uh, what a foursome of men here! The Necro Butcher, <laughs> who I loved back then. Chris Hero, a guy who I saw, you know, well into the triple digits live between IWA and Ring of Honor. Jerry Lynn, who it's just amazing that he was still going strong at this level in two thousand eight and the aforementioned Rhett Titus. The most important thing to me about this match, a couple of things. First, Larry Sweeney, God rest his soul, was amazing. He was the best. He was Bobby Heenan reincarnated. There's a hole in wrestling where Larry Sweeney could and should have been. Uh, I just just shudder to think of how great he would be in the modern wrestling landscape. He's so great as a manager here. The other uh, less heavy thing uh, to talk about is that Chris hero's gear is terrible <laughs> even by by Chris hero's standards the problem if you could call it that is that Chris hero had gotten into incredible shape by his standards going to Japan wrestling uh, here in ring of honor he was tall and lanky and thin he was in Barry Windham shape Barry Wyndham would have never worn this gear
0: yeah, very true. Um, <laughs>
1: Barry Wyndham 87 shape, I should say, not Barry Wyndham 97 shape. Uh,
0: yeah, a lot of parallels now that you mentioned that between uh, Barry Wyndham and Chris Hero. Uh, that was when it always came to their my. their body type. Yeah.
1: <laughs> For sure. That was when I first saw Chris Hero uh, way back in the day. That was my thought as wow, like this guy, again, not exactly the same, but just physically and what they can do despite not always being in the best shape cosmetically uh hero and barry windham definitely uh some comparisons there but yeah it's so distracting because it's like you're rooting for Hero, and you're like man you got yourself into good shape but god your already terrible gear looks so much worse on you now get new gear made
0: <laughs> so the match starts out uh not much happening uh until jerry lynn is in with necro butcher and Butcher with a wrist lock on Jerry Lynn and the crowd chants, holy shit.
1: And that yes. made me laugh. That was very funny. Chain wrestling from the Necro Butcher, who is barefoot, cut off jorts, a uh, black uh, black shirt with cut off sleeves, uh, looking more like the Necro Butcher than you could ever imagine him looking. Uh, like, if you imagine what a a guy from like the Appalachians that's in wrestling called the Necro Butcher looks like. He looks like this man.
0: Yeah, usually a brawler, a uh, uh, a guy who will be bleeding at some point in the match. So him doing any chain wrestling was a a big deal for for yes. the crowd, and it was very funny. Uh, so uh, Lynn and, and Butcher even do the trading near fall spots. Yeah, uh, the fish out of water. Yeah, uh, Titus broke it up. He's chased from the ring. As he
1: should be. By the way, we should also mention his nickname, Addicted to Love, Rhett Titus. Ugh.
0: Um, okay <laughs> so, He's,
1: again, we've talked about before other territories. I know this is on the independence 20 years later, but when I see Rhett Titus on this show, he reminds me of like the guys you would see in the dying days of a territory getting pushed that would never get pushed if the company had top guys. Like when Rhett nice. Titus years later would get pushes it was like al perez your world champion
0: (laughs) Uh, hero blind tags himself in and he comes in and nails necro with an elbow to the back of the head this was an awesome shot and gets a near fall at this point we're told that masawa handed down the rolling elbow (laughs) to chris hero this made me laugh
1: (laughs) We're told by heel commentator Dave Prezak, who is certainly stretching the truth about uh, Chris Hero's tours of pro wrestling, Noah, which were extensive, and he did get along with Misawa, but I don't think Misawa anointed him as the, uh, the next Mitsuhara Misawa. Great heel stuff, though, heel commentary from Dave Prezak. We also learned that Chris Hero has been using a loaded elbow pad that is handed to him most times by Sarah Del Rey, another member of Sweet and Sour Inc., who would go on years later to WWE to not wrestle, but be their main trainer of the women on their roster. Uh, but here she's uh, she's a part-time wrestler in Ring of Honor and just a part of the, uh, the entourage of Larry Sweeney and Sweet and Sour Inc.
0: Titus in with Butcher, and Titus does a back rake, to necro butcher who's wearing a shirt somehow (laughs) this was effective
1: (laughs) i noted that as well he either has uh fingernails that are made of adamantium or uh, necro butcher has the thinnest t-shirt you've ever seen which he's necro butcher he doesn't wash so that shirt might really be in dire straits that probably is the uh is the answer he follows that up with maybe the worst punch I've seen in the history of professional wrestling. So By he, bad. I mean Rhett Titus.
0: Yes. Uh, so later on in the match, Hero is in with Lynn. Lynn out of the corner with a sunset flip after the pin attempt. Hero is able to nail Lynn with the rolling elbow for a pin attempt, but that gets broken up.
1: How about uh, following up off this? Jerry Luminath flying Rana off the second rope in 2008. I don't remember Jerry pulling this off as well when he was Mr. JL in the WCW Cruiserweight division uh, as he did here 12 years later.
0: That's right. Lynn with the Rana off the second rope and then again to the second rope. This time hits Hero with a crossbody and gets a two. So Lynn's flying all over the place.
1: Then he's channeling Steve Austin with a Fez press and punches. This is Jerry Lynn just going wild.
0: That's right. He counters a tilt-a-whirl into the inverted DDT for a 2. Titus comes in with Lynn. Lynn tries to push Titus into the ropes for a roll-up, but Necro Butcher was on the apron. He takes a shoulder to the midsection on that move. Titus then goes up and over to the outside, threatens to powerbomb Butcher off the apron to the floor, but Necro Butcher turns it into a slow motion <laughs> Necro
1: Yes, this was this match was basically Necro Butcher as ECW Sandman in a match with wrestlers rather than brawlers. He was doing chain wrestling. He hit his version of the Heineken uh as he, just like the the Necro Arana as he called it. Uh, this was uh, definitely a different usage of Necro Butcher than I had remembered seeing a couple of years prior in IWA Mid South and elsewhere. But it was perfectly fine. It was fun. I was happy to not see Necro get his brain scrambled for once, so uh good stuff.
0: yeah, Hero is in the ring with Lynn. Lynn counters a pile driver attempt. He goes for the pile driver, but Sweeney on the apron this allows uh, as Lynn goes after Sweeney, this allows Sarah Del Rey to throw the loaded elbow pad to hero. Hero hides it by putting it on his boot, and he tries to kick Lynn with the loaded boot. That has the elbow pad on it. He missed the kick. Lynn hooks him for the cradle pile driver, nails Chris Hero with it, and gets the win. Your winner is Jerry Lynn. Loud, you still got it, Chance. And Necro Butcher and Jerry Lynn celebrate together after the match.
1: And shake hands because that's what we all expected out of the sportsmanship between Jerry Lynn and scientific professional wrestler, the Necro Butcher. Yeah, so these. The- the story
0: Sorry. of this is the movie, the Mickey Rourke movie, yeah. The Wrestler, had just come out. So Necro Butcher was featured in that movie, and Jerry Lynn was being put in kind of the the old guy on the indies. Uh, that's right. Uh, that was the push, that, and they that gave him the, the title. Push. It yep. was
1: 100%. That's, I had completely forgotten about that, that Jerry Lynn was basically booked, As the uh, kind of as the Mickey Rourke character, not explicitly, but that was the implication. That was what they were trying to tap into uh, with Jerry at this point. So that's yeah, that's a a nice moment between uh, between those two guys. Then the next thing we see is Jimmy Jacobs in the ring (laughs) calling out the Necro Butcher. He says that Necro used to be a monster. Now you're a Hollywood sellout. Uh, delirious comes out who had turned heel was a member of the age of the fall the with age Jimmy of Jacob's the fall. <laughs> one of the honestly for me that was the storyline that killed my interest in Ring of Honor as time went on Jimmy Jacobs uh, I could do a whole podcast but not a fan uh when i watch him and i hear him cut promos i see a guy who thought that he was Jake the Snake Roberts or Raven but was actually a Kirkland's Kevin Sullivan.
0: Yeah. Jim, I'm not a Jimmy Jacobs fan either. Um, if you're a listener to this podcast and, and you were a Jimmy Jacobs fan, we then, didn't get along in
1: 2005 to 2008, no,
0: but tweet Sorry. us, tell us what we're missing. Like the, e- email, I live tweet this, us. by the way,
1: this, is, this isn't revisionist history. I lived seeing this dude every month in IWA, seeing him get these huge pushes in ring of honor. And it just, it just felt—I don't know—it just felt really forced. It didn't work for me. No, I felt I like I had to watch him. Jimmy
0: Jacobs and, and BJ Whitmer every time I went to a Ring of Honor show. I felt
1: oh, like God. Well, <laughs> imagine seeing them seeing them a bunch of times in IWA and then seeing that again uh, in, in Ring of Honor. The problem for me was that Jimmy Jacobs was nondescript in the ring. He was really, really small. Didn't do anything particularly well. And he was not a good enough promo guy to be positioned as that great promo guy who can't really work all that well. So it just, just didn't work for me at all. Uh, again, I get it. Some people really liked him. It was a taste that I never acquired. But needless to say, when I saw him here, I groaned. I was not looking forward to, uh, to Jimmy Jacobs' action here on my television screen.
0: No, but the save is made because the tag team champions run down to the ring. ROH tag team titles are on the line here the champions are el generico and kevin steen
1: yes two of the best two of my favorites from this time period again a great example of guys who had come through iws and the uh the quebec scene and were clearly the best guys there had started making their way into the indies and in the u.s and then became a big deal here in ring of honor as uh mortal enemies as tag team partners and obviously el generico would go on to be Sami Zayn in nxt and later main roster wwe and kevin steen would basically go on to be the exact same character he was all throughout his career uh in wwe but with the name chain, name change excuse me of kevin owens
0: that's right and they're managed by daisy hayes in this match
1: yeah. yes daisy hayes someone who is very much missed in the world of professional wrestling, wherever she may be. She was a really, really, really good wrestler. A great, sympathetic baby face. Uh, when the indie scene, you were just starting to see a bit of an explosion of really talented women. Uh, you know, Daisy Hayes, Sarah Del Rey, cheerleader Melissa, Lacey, who uh, we didn't see a lot of wrestling in Ring of Honor. She was in that big storyline with Jimmy Jacobs. But uh, definitely have a lot of time for uh, for Daisy Hayes matches.
0: The match opens with Steen doing a flip dive over the top rope, wiping out Jacobs and Delirious. And still
1: Uh, a a big dude back then. Very uh, much so. It's not as if he like he came to WWE and came became like a bigger, huskier guy here on the Indies. It was the exact same way. And he was just doing crazy high flying stuff.
0: So the match officially starts now. And... uh, Generico's in, uh, he, he does a uh, drop toe hold, and then we get a, a flip leg drop by Steen. So yeah, flipping around uh, it, it, as a guy. It's always so impressive to see a big dude like Steen doing moves like that.
1: Yes, a front flipping leg drop. Think the non-top rope version of the Harlem hangover uh, of <laughs> Booker T. Uh, so yeah, pretty impressive to see that done here uh, in standing variety by Kevin Steen.
0: I, I didn't know how to describe this move, and then the commentators called it a backpack senton, yes. and I said, "Yes, that's exactly what that is." <laughs> and, uh, so it's yes. a perfect
1: description. It's not like calling a move like uh, you know, just giving it you know, some move that's na- or a name I should say that's named after like the guy's nickname. Like this is a perfectly described uh, representation of what this move was.
0: Yeah, Generico on the back of Steen, and and they both do a senton together. So this was yeah a backpack senton, a perfect description. Um, so <laughs> we what
1: could make the argument though? This would be more effective if Steen was on the back of Generico.
0: <laughs> Correct. Uh, Delirious gets in. He gets the heat on Steen after ch- chop blocking his knee, going to work it's on the knee.
1: Weird, weird to see Delirious as a heel. It because is because the vast majority of his career was that he was just you know crazy masked lunatic baby face uh his act works much better there than it does as a heel here it just it's hard to, I, and again it's part of the story jimmy jacobs turned him away from daisy hayes to the dark side but it just it's not a uh, it, it ring work wise it just it doesn't really work for me
0: now uh, steen getting cut off from making the tag He backdrops Jacobs to the floor, and that finally allows him to make the tag to Generico. Huge kick by El Generico. He goes to the top rope, nails a big crossbody for a two-count. Generico... How
1: about, hold on, before we get that, though, there was a spot that I noted because I saw a parallel between this and Stan Hansen running to tackle and stop Dan Crawford from making a tag in that All Japan TV show we reviewed early in season two uh we have a similar thing where uh was it Steen I think it was Steen that's fighting out of the corner going to run to make the tag to Generico and delirious and Jimmy Jacobs they run tackle and him. tackle him from behind at the legs <laughs> yes. i loved that and i immediately wrote down Stan Hansen spot all caps <laughs>
0: that i i wrote it down here too but i didn't make that correlation but it was exactly <laughs> it was exactly that uh stan hansen tackle from behind um Generico grabs the hand of Delirious, climbs to the top like he's gonna do the Lucha arm drag off the top, but he instead jumps off the top with a flip dive onto Jacobs on the floor.
1: This is very was awesome. Super very cool. Very well executed. Nobody moves like El Generico, another one of those guys that I put in the all unique wrestling movement hall of fame. He's here in a mask. You can put him in a in a satchel, a burlap sack, and you could still tell that it was el generico walking those ropes and hitting that dive to the floor love the the surprise the mis, uh, misdirection play of him doing that instead of going back in for the flying lucha arm drag as you put it
0: yeah steen with a cannonball in the corner generico with a huge splash off the top only a two count generico hits a michinoku driver for a two
1: a beautiful michinoku driver Perfect. like the best one you'll see this side of taka himself
0: Steen's in, but Jacobs trips him from the outside. Steen is
1: great selling the leg here, by the way, throughout the smash, and even this late in.
0: Yeah, Jacobs holds Steen from the apron. Delirious charges in and knocks Jacobs to the floor. Steen then goes for the package pile driver, but his knee is too injured. He catches a kick into a dragon screw, then the sharpshooter by Steen on Delirious. Jacobs to the eyes of Steen breaks the hold. And then Delirious goes to the top, hits the big splash, the shadows over hell. Yes, then, which
1: is a, a jumping splash to the back. His opponent would be It was always it looked cool, but it always felt a little contrived, and that it's the only time that a guy's ever gonna be standing, like, perpendicular from the corner, just hunched over, waiting right. for something to happen. But that's the that's the move, and so Uh, He hits it here. He kind of overshoots it, so it doesn't look as cool as it has in in other attempts, but still uh, unique.
0: Delirious tries a cobra clutch. It's blocked by Steen using his own bad knee, and then he limps to the corner. He tries to climb the ropes to do a dive onto everyone on the floor, but his knee gave out, and he collapses. Scene
1: is so great in this match like doing sort of like his selling
0: is off the charts good
1: oh better than anyone we've seen on this show leaps and bounds so far meaning this this ring of honor show his ability to mix sort of the like next generation high flying or creative spots with the selling of the knee throughout this and it not just being like oh i'm gonna tap my knee and then it's gonna feel fine but like it actually having an impact on him being able to Execute his big moves multiple times throughout the match. Just can't say enough good things about Kevin Steen here.
0: Daisy Hazen, she goes to the top, but Jacobs pulls her down. Won't let her dive onto the pile. Delirious and Jacobs then argue about his getting physical with Hayes. Steen super kicks Jacobs, a kick to the face of Generico. Package pile driver by Steen. Then a brain buster by Generico, he gets the pin on Delirious, still the ROH Tag Team Champions, and what a team they are. Oh, we love Steen and El Generico.
1: What an awesome sequence. Like you said, I mean, it is in rapid fire succession. They're all hitting like their finishers, meaning all of Steen and Generico. Super kick Steen. Running Yakuza Kick Generico, package pile driver scene, Brainbuster Generico, and it happens even more quickly than I'm able to say those words. Just fantastic stuff. And I don't know that there's ever been guys that were so great as opponents, like all time great feud rivalry, stretching, promotions, names, characters, decades. But then when they're a team, they're right there with the best tag teams in the world. It is very, very unique and rare to have that great of chemistry as partners and opponents.
0: Six-man tag team New York street fight.
1: <laughs> These teams. <laughs> this is something else. At first, when I saw Brent Albright, I thought, oh God, no, it's the Hangman 3. <laughs> and I was ready to turn the uh, streaming service off because I have terrible memories of was it, it was Brent Albright's Scrap Iron Adam Pierce, and, and I can't. Yeah, oh, that is the exact correct answer. I can't remember who the third man was, but thankfully, that's not the situation here. It is Brent Albright, Choo Choo Eric Stevens, <laughs> and Roderick Strong looking exactly the same in 2008 as he did uh, in 2004 and would look in 2021. The man does not age. The man no, has been he in- looks
0: exactly the same. It's so weird.
1: Looks the same, same haircut, moves the same way, does all the same moves exactly as well. He is maybe the most consistent wrestler of the last two decades. Their opponents are the sweet and sour incorporated triumvirate of Davey Richards and Eddie Edwards, the American Wolves, and their tag team partner, Pro wrestling Noah's Ozaki on excursion. <laughs> I had no recollection of Ozaki being managed by Larry Sweeney. I definitely remember seeing him in Ring of Honor, as the relationship with Pro Wrestling Noah uh, was very strong, which is uh, it, it, you know, indicated as we get deeper into this show. Uh, you know, you think a lot of people think of Ring of Honor and their long-standing relationship with New Japan. But prior to that, definitely a strong relationship with Noah. But, man, a trivia question for sure. Goshi Ozaki's manager in Ring of Honor, Larry Sweeney.
0: They start out brawling outside during the introductions. Uh, They're they're talking about Davey Richards having success in Noah himself. I think he's awesome. He's one of my favorite wrestlers here, uh, Davey Richards. He's great.
1: Davey Richards is – so I've been watching him for damn near 15 years. And I still haven't figured out if I'm a fan or not. Yeah,
0: he's great. I'm telling he you, he's d- awesome.
1: He, he does some things so well, he does other things not so well. And there's, I, I respect how seriously he takes his wrestling, but it's also, he takes it so seriously that there's points where you almost laugh. I, I don't know how else to describe just sometimes in the ring, but he's had a ton of great matches. Uh, he's fun here the thing we should note too is that this is a come as you are street fight but it's weird because like so you've got Albright and Stevens both wearing jeans then you've got Roderick Strong in like swishy 2000s warm-up pants then you have Richards and Edwards both wearing jeans and then Goshi Ozaki's just wearing like Basketball warm-up shorts, shorts and yeah. <laughs> knee pads and a Sweet and Sour Ink t-shirt. So visually, it appears as though the match at first glance should be a handicap four-on-two match with the jeans, Brent Albright, Eric Stevens, Davey Richards, and Eddie Edwards taking on the nylon pant-slash-shorts duo of Roderick Strong and Go Ozaki.
0: Yeah, and, and you, you know how I feel about uh, uh, when outfits clash like that, and that's exactly... Yes. Not the correcting. You can't have at least it, you know if you're gonna have guys in jeans like they all. Everybody can't.
1: should, or it should be jeans against swishy pants.
0: Jeans against swishy pants. You should have, uh, or or you know some sort of you know dark jeans, yes. blue jeans. Like no, these are they. They all looked like they they all went jean shopping together yes. earlier before this match. Yeah, <laughs>
1: exactly. This as come as you arrived at Old Navy <laughs> a half hour before the show. And then Goshi Ozaki wasn't there, so he just grabbed the same shorts he would wear backstage at Pro Wrestling Noah. Uh, that said, I respect the fact that this was no one dressed in their regular gear. Correct. And that they were just wailing on each other, beating the hell out of each other outside for a long time at the start of this match. Like, it's hard to actually really do, like, commentary on what happened because it was just dudes punching each other. The thing that's most noteworthy to me here in the first section of this match is they get back in the ring. Brent Albright hits a power slam on Eddie Edwards that the velocity of this power slam is so impactful that it splits Brent Albright's jeans directly (laughs) down the middle (laughs) on his ass. Yes. I lost it i was laughing so hard that this i had is like to like right
0: at the beginning this is like the first <laughs> yes. move in the ring yeah
1: it's, exactly, it's the first move that happens in the match that is not brawling on the floor his pants <laughs> are not split beforehand from this camera shot you see the fabric separate this is maybe the most amazing power slam of all time for that reason just hilarious and then he has to wrestle the rest of this match uh just spewing hatred and vile and venom toward his opponents with completely obliterated crotch area of his pants.
0: There's a table set up in the corner of the ring. Stevens and Edwards trading forearms. Then Stevens with some crappy looking move. And uh, Shiozaki with a German suplex puts Stevens through the table.
1: Yes. And a great camera shot of this, by the way, with the uh, right in the corner. This felt like an ECW fan cam camera shot. You could almost, uh, it felt like the the splinters from the table were going to come through your TV sets and uh, and into into your hands here watching this.
0: More brawling outside. Uh, Roderick Strong looking for a gut buster, but Richards uh, with a distraction. uh, Strong goes up after Richards, but turns around into two knees to the face, turns into Richards, who. Almost loses Strong in really scary fashion. Yes. But then shows his strength, gets him up, and hits a powerbomb.
1: Yeah, this was awesome because, like you said, it it looked like it was going very sideways. He could have spiked Roderick Strong on his head, but he uh, he recovered and just dropped him with a great cruiserweight-style powerbomb. Can we talk about for a moment how stupid Brent Albright's finisher is?
0: It's not the armbar?
1: Well, it is, but it is a variation of the armbar called it the crowbar. And how does this differ from a normal Fujiwara armbar? You see, he tips his man high into the air and then puts him in an armbar. <laughs>
0: okay, I, did, I didn't realize that was always this, part of the move. <laughs> it's
1: almost as dumb as a top rope sunset flip. It's like when you put your uh, opponent in a submission move on a table. And that somehow is it was just, just dumb. I it was just one of those where it's like, how can we come up with something different? Let's do this. And it just it maybe I'm maybe I'm the outlier here, but the crowbar, the tip up Fujiwara armbar did not work for me. What also didn't work was them recalling the no remorse core group, which I had completely <laughs> forgotten about uh, they talked about that there was the this was the era coming right out of the era of just these terrible factions when ring of honor was trying to organize themselves the same way their sometimes partner dragon gate was where everybody was in a faction i remember there was some like bird themed group uh what were they called someone will remember this uh they had a (laughs) manager whose name i can't recall uh, you had the Embassy, managed by Prince Nana, led by Jimmy Rave.
0: When I uh, hear a just... bird-themed group, I think of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and they're, uh, they're wrestling uh, Birdman costumes. You'll uh, uh, Fans of the show will uh, know what I'm talking about.
1: And Adam Summers will not, but oh, we will move on. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, so we after the arm bar, uh, you get a... The crowbar! The... <laughs> uh, Shizaki nails albright with a chair shot then
1: drops knees to the chair that's on albright's face we get a lot of commentary on this show casually about how can guys have concussions we, we, nigel McGuinness is like poking fun as, at his own concussions i'm like no nigel no just <laughs> think about the the really weird documentary you're going to release a few years later don't talk about your concussions this way stop
0: Albright fights out of the corner and hits a great drop kick to Shiozaki. Then, clotheslines both Edwards and Richards. Eric Stevens attacks all three guys. Strong hits the gutbuster into a lariat by Stevens. This gets broken up at a two count. Richards and Strong are they they battle in the ring. Richards clotheslines Strong over the top rope to the floor, and Roderick Strong puts Richards through the table off the apron.
1: Yes, yeah, so basically, like the way he would do his backbreaker, where he would pick the guy up for like a, a back suplex, a belly to back suplex. Uh, but instead of dropping him over his knee, he just jumped off the apron and dropped him back first through the table. It was that great table spot, that great type of table spot that was both visually impressive, particularly from this diagonal camera view, and also incredibly safe.
0: Shiozaki with a great super kick on Albright. Follows it up with a low blow. German suplex by Shiozaki, but, uh, Stevens hits a release German suplex, dumping go right on his head. A Yakuza kick by strong armbar again by Albright on crowbar. Shiozaki. <laughs> and Shiozaki taps out. So the crowbar wins it. Albright Stevens and strong are your winners. Uh, and then Shizaki is left all alone by his partners. The crowd gives him a go chant, uh, but he flips him off on his way out.
1: Yes, this, uh, this was a million miles an hour, but it was hate-filled. It was fun. They, they definitely did, I don't know, they did more moves than I needed for a match like this, but still everything felt, uh, again, hate-filled and violent. I thought Goshi Ozaki was the star of this match. Uh, This might have been... Like, this was the ultimate needle in the haystack. It was the only time I was ever impressed by Brent Albright. So, you know, he's got that going for him here. He was super generic, but... So
0: generic, yeah.
1: Like, he was... Brent Albright was that that guy in the mid-2000s on the indie scene that was obviously massively... uh, influenced by 90s all japan into pro wrestling noah and was trying his hardest to be like that foreigner in all japan in noah type of guy and a lot of times it fell short from the mark but i will give him credit here i thought he looked he looked awesome here he, he was uh, along with go i thought the star of the match
0: and our final match that we're going to cover on part one of this review is a tag team match the Briscoe brothers, Jay and Mark Briscoe taking on the GHC heavyweight champion, Kensuke Sasaki, and his partner, Nakajima.
1: Yeah, I uh, I am fired up that this will be <laughs> the uh, the main event of part one because the Briscoes were and are awesome. And man, Sasaki, and particularly, obviously a longtime fan of Sasaki, and we'll get into that later, but seeing Katsuhiko Nakajima here on the podcast uh very very exciting it is crazy to think as we record this katsuhiko nakajima is 33 years old here in 2008 he was already a four three and a half year veteran he started wrestling before he turned 15 years old here he was not even 20 years old
0: that's absolutely insane to think about that he was so young here and he was so good
1: oh yeah he was he was incredible right out of the gate I recall seeing a match of his uh, on a Tokyo Dome show for New Japan I believe in 2004 if I'm not mistaken 2004 or 2005 but I believe it was 2004 and right out of the gate he was awesome and he's only gotten better he's still it's very funny now watching him in modern times and seeing him here like he looks like he's 12 years old facially um, but he's just just an awesome wrestler and the the relationship between Sasaki and Nakajima where uh, uh Kensuke Sasaki and Akira Hokuto uh legendary wrestler in her own right basically took uh Nakajima in and uh more or less adopted him if not legally they basically did continued his training Uh, and you know, it was that sort of almost father, son type of, uh, team here taking on the Briscoes who were no strangers to pro wrestling, Noah, uh, no strangers to going to Japan. They had done several tours already and the relationship between Noah and uh ring of honor, as we talked about earlier, was very strong at this point. It will definitely not be the last Noah wrestlers that, uh, that we'll talk about this final battle show. Stay tuned to part two. Uh, for more details on that. But yes, a dream match here uh, in the Hammerstein Ballroom in late 2008.
0: Yeah, the Briscoes, one of those teams where you're just surprised that they really never, you know, besides the tours of Japan you mentioned, they really never did anything past Ring of Honor. Uh, they never did anything anywhere else.
1: Well, yeah, they're one of the best tag teams of our generation, I think, you know, without a doubt. And when you talk about guys starting young, look no further than both of them, particularly Mark Briscoe.
0: Yeah, so always surprising that they uh, they never committed to trying to to do anything beyond uh, Ring of Honor. But the things they did there and the things they accomplished
1: absolutely make them a legendary tag team here. Legendary what? gear here, by the way, they're both dressed like Apollo Creed. With the, uh, the USA flag. Yes, they jumps. are. We've got matching gear for the Briscoes, and then we have matching gear of their own uh, for the Kensuke office duo of uh, Sasaki and Nakajima.
0: I noted that down. I do love when teams are coordinated, and we had that here. Mark and Nakajima start out. They're grappling, trading kicks. It breaks down into a slap fight until yes. Nakajima kicks Mark down.
1: Yes. And if you're not familiar with Katsuhiko Nakajima, the thing you need to know more than anything is he may be the most powerful and I would argue technically proficient kicker in pro wrestling, uh, certainly that I've ever seen, particularly for a guy that doesn't have a competitive MMA background. The torque that he gets on his kicks and the, uh, the popping of the hips when he throws those kicks there's nobody that you can compare it to. We've talked about Hashimoto, uh, Shinya Hashimoto on the show before. Kenta, another great kicker, just uh, to name a few. Nakajima is in a, uh, in a world unto his own, and his, his open hand slaps aren't too far behind.
0: Jay's in with Nakajima. More hard kicks, a double stomp on the apron. Jay goes to the floor, and Nakajima with a senton on Jay onto the floor.
1: Yes, a running somersault off the apron, Jushin Liger style uh, from Nakajima. They get back in. They're trading strikes again. Uh, Jay Briscoe tags in at this point and hits a huge back elbow and a Samoan drop on Nakajima. And at this point, uh, Nakajima realizes, yep, I better go into the (laughs) corner and bring in Kensuke.
0: And they have a big chop battle until Jay hits a drop kick. Sasaki with the advantage hits a lariat suplex and then tags Nakajima back in.
1: Yes. First he hits a, a clothesline to the arm and then the lariat. And this is where I note that I'm actually really disappointed in the ring of honor fans in that for whatever reason Sasaki, he's not getting the same legend response that uh, Kenta Kobashi, that Masawa, that even uh, you know, younger high profile guys like Kenta Uh, you know, and others would get, and it just it baffles me looking back at it because I mean Sasaki was the GHC champion. Uh Ring of Honor fans followed Pro Wrestling Noah relatively closely because they knew these other guys that were coming in. And then the fact that Sasaki had the history of wrestling in the United States some 15, 16 years earlier in WCW, uh, and then coming in into even the the mid to late nineties, you know, former United States champion, one of the more familiar guys. Uh, to American audiences But like they, they reacted to him But it was not like this Legend reaction that I expected from the, uh, from the New York crowd Marks in
0: and he puts A beat down on Nakajima in the corner Double team Russian leg sweep and a senton Off the middle rope by the Briscoes Nakajima
1: fights back Hits a leg sweep And tags in Sasaki Yes, that spinning leg sweep. We mentioned Shinya Hashimoto earlier. That was a Hashimoto-esque spinning leg sweep. And uh that brings Kensuke in. He hits Lariats from either side, front and back. Uh we get a running Lariat again from Kensuke, as we've talked about before. Uh Ricky Choshu's style of wrestling, basically being Lariat pro wrestling. Uh and Kensuke. while he did diversify his offense as his career went on, that uh that style and that training was definitely a uh, definitely the roots of his offense Uh, at at this point, we get an obnoxious USA chant from a few fans (laughs) that we do. Uh, Yeah. Which thankfully doesn't catch on Uh, Sasaki with yet another running lariat. uh, And then just uh, kind of proceeds to just stretch Mark Briscoe's knee and stomp at it over and over again.
0: So he's got him in this leg lock. And Nakajima gets waved into the ring. So yes. he comes in to keep Jay yes. from breaking up the hold. I and
1: love that. That's a straight up N64 No Mercy style tag team wrestling. And I'm always here for that.
0: That's right. Because as soon as Nakajima starts to walk back to the apron, Jay runs in and breaks it up. <laughs> yes.
1: yes. <laughs> Nak- Perfect.
0: Nakajima gets tagged in and he's working over the knee as well. The double team mark in the corner. Mark gets put in the tree of woe and Nakajima with the running drop kick to the chest
1: tree of woe. And we'll get into it as we go into both part one and part two tree of woe is the move of the night here that it uh, is ring of honor at the hammer Ballroom. many different outcomes from the tree of woe, but I feel like almost uh, at least one guy in every match gets put into the tree of woe. It's a pretty high percentage.
0: Mark makes the hot tag to Jay. High cross off the top onto Nakajima. To the corner, Jay hits a clothesline, but Nakajima follows him to the other corner with a running boot to
1: Jay's face. This is awesome. And this is the type of thing that you see now a lot. Yes, you do. uh, In Japan. And then it's kind of filtered its way back into the US. But back then, uh, you didn't see this spot as often. And so it got a big pop, a big surprise reaction from the crowd. Uh, Jay then hits a, a complete shot of flatline or whatever you want to call it into the buckle on Nakajima and a big, big running boot a Yakuza kick style, uh, boot from Jay, uh, Jay Briscoe, but only gets two
0: death Valley driver attempt blocked Nakajima with an awesome ax kick. But... Oh
1: yes. That ax kick, that hook kick again, the, uh, the kickboxing training, uh, and background then, uh, We get like a big Ron Simmons style spine buster that for some reason, Dave Prazak, who I love, uh, and is generally great on the show, but he calls it a choke slam, which I I did not see.
0: This was very much a spine buster. Jay gets a two count. Nakajima runs up the corner, hits a kick, and makes the hot tag to Kensuke.
1: That run up up the ropes and come back with that springing kick uh, deep cut, but if you're a big audio nightmare fan or a fan of Japanese wrestling, a staple of Masaki Mochizuki, uh, who spent the majority of his career, well, he went from war to Dragon Gate, uh, dabbles in pro wrestling now and is still a pro wrestling Noah, excuse me, now modern times, and is still an incredible wrestler uh, into his 50s. Uh, but that is a move that Nakajima cribbed from him to great effect here. Yeah, did not
0: have that reference in my notes, but good pull for, <laughs> from you. Uh, <laughs> Kensuke, after a chop battle, finally starts going and hits his
1: power slam for a two count. We should say, by the way, a chop battle from Kensuke Sasaki. Uh, this got a reaction from the crowd because yeah, these fans definitely <laughs> remembered three years earlier in the Tokyo Dome. Uh, the, uh, the craziest chop battle in the history of pro, uh, pro wrestling with Sasaki and Kenta Kobashi going for somewhere five, six, seven minutes. Of a chop battle so uh they were ready to see some chops from sasaki and see the briscoes attempt to fire back
0: judo throw and sasaki works over the arm
1: yes the power strangle submission hold after that uh the reverse Ipanze judo throw uh, we're getting in some ways the the greatest hits of kensuke and again like man
0: not a lot of reaction yeah.
1: Not a lot of reaction. Did, were these people who all look to be around my age at this time, did they not order the WCW Japan Super Show? Did they not watch Hase and Sasaki versus the Steiners once a week for a decade? <laughs> Clearly not. Clearly they were not in the same plan and schedule as I as I was because they are not popping for these signature moves from Kensuke and it makes me very sad.
0: Mark breaks it up. Double team attempt. Sasaki runs through. Through the double clothesline attempt, and he clotheslines both the briscos. Sasaki suplexes Nakajima onto a brisco. Yes. Very cool, fun double team. Sasaki so then does a tilt-a-whirl on his partner with, this is great. With, with Nakajima coming down and hitting a kick. This yes, was awesome. It-
1: Yes, this is one of their uh, their staple moves, one of their signature double teams. Where, yeah, I love how it is two double teams in a row where Sasaki is the dad Nakajima of around. sorts is <laughs> slamming Nakajima, the son of sorts, uh, into the opponents. But yes, this you described it perfectly. A tilt a whirl slam that sends Nakajima in sort of a somersaulting kick, almost like a Jushin Liger rolling capo kick style strike. Uh, onto the Briscoes. Awesome double team offense here from the Kensuke office duo.
0: Seven straight super kicks by Nakajima. <laughs> yes. And the crowd is into it. <laughs>
1: yes, they're into Nakajima in this match as it goes along more than they are into Kensuke. And I think it's just because they don't, they don't fully recognize Sasaki as the, the legend that he is at this point. But Nakajima, it's impossible, even if you don't know anything about him, it is impossible not to be impressed just by how incredibly technically sound he is, and then just how how brutal and precise his uh, his strikes, uh, his lower body strikes, kicks are.
0: After another huge super kick, Jay is able to kick out Nakajima to the top. Jay catches him. He's got Nakajima on his shoulders like electric chair position. He's gonna go for the Doomsday Device. Mark tries to springboard in from the outside, but the knee that was worked on earlier gives out. He collapses,
1: which was awesome. The crowd not recognizing that this is great selling in the story of the match starts chanting. UF'd yeah. up yeah. No. and it, it, they should actually be looking at a mirror as they chant that because they <laughs> got it wrong.
0: Nakajima then rolls up Jay for a near fall. All four men are in the ring. Mark and Sasaki start fighting on the floor. Jay goes for the Doomsday device again. Mark this time comes off the top, but Sasaki in to make the save.
1: After they hit the Doomsday device, to be clear, they get it this time, correct? They
0: get it this time. Sasaki makes a save. We get a J driller, which is the double underhook into a pile driver, and Jay pins Nakajima. So after the, the Doomsday device and a Jay driller... He gets the pin on Nakajima. Your winners are the Briscoes. And Davey Richards and Eddie Edwards, the American Wolves attack the Briscoes immediately. With a, with like the ref
1: barely hits 3, hits the mat for 3 before the American Wolves are out here to attack the Briscoes.
0: Yeah, they're destroying the knee of Mark with the chair. Steen and Generico come down to make the save for the Briscoes. Uh, Doing some research, as I do for the podcast, I learned that Mark Briscoe came into the weekend that this show was was taped with a torn ACL that needed surgery. So he worked this match with a torn ACL, and that surgery would keep him out for close to six months. So this was the angle to explain his absence.
1: Wow. He uh, certainly didn't wrestle in this match. Like a guy with a torn ACL. That's crazy. Uh, This isn't the end though, of the post-match stuff. There's uh, the wolves tease leaving. um, But then uh, there's another attack. Albright and Stevens from the six man earlier. Come back. Brent Albright. He had the night of his life here. Again, I found this guy to be just as dull as dried paint. Uh, throughout his tenure in Ring of Honor, but he cuts a fiery promo saying that Larry Sweeney is destroying Ring of Honor. He asks Kerry Silken to give them a steel cage match against Sweet and Sour Inc. He has a great line where he says, We're not asking for miracles, we're asking for blood. Kerry uh, Silken makes the match. Sweeney is livid, throwing a great fit on the floor as Albright screams that in, in the cage, somebody's going to die. And again, I'm just like, Where was this Brent Albright for his entire career other than this evening?
0: Yeah, Brent Albright was great, which is a sentence I never thought I'd say. And and Larry Sweeney's reaction to the cage match announcement, uh, also classic outside. He's Bobby Heenan
1: reincarnated here. That's the only way you can describe it.
0: And with that, we're going to wrap up part one of Ring of Honor's Final Battle 2008. We'll be back next week with the final three main event matches to close out the show part two coming to you next week so with that we're going to wrap it up thanks again adam
1: thank you jeremy and part two you talk about three main event matches to close out ring of honors final battle 2008 on next week's podcast part two will feature tyler black the future seth rollins versus austin aries in a number one contenders match It will also feature Nigel McGuinness and Naomichi Marafuji for the GHC, or excuse me, for the Ring of Honor world title, and then Brian Danielson and Takeshi Morishima in a fight without honor, which is basically a street fight. So yeah, if you're listening in linear fashion, if you're listening all scattered around, don't just listen to part one. Make sure you check out part two as well next week.
0: Yeah, and... If you have friends that are just going to listen to part two, don't be friends with them anymore. (laughs) And with that, we're going to wrap it up. Thanks everyone for listening. We'll talk to you again next time.